Hello, I'm Travis Mills, and I make westerns. Thank you for listening to our podcast. In 2020, I made 12 western feature-length films in 12 months. Now I continue to explore the genre on set and off set in this podcast about the western genre and filmmaking process, featuring special guest interviews and more. This podcast is produced by 5J Media and brought to you by Running Wild Films. This music is composed by Christopher Hart from the soundtrack for our Western County Bullets. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, and coming soon we will have a video version on our Running Wild Films YouTube channel. Now for our latest episode, but first a message about one of our sponsors. Welcome back to the podcast. This time I have a very special guest. I met him while making our Montana Western Terror on the Prairie. This is a fantastic cinematographer, director of photography, Stephen Petitville. He's uh, from France and I grew up speaking French, so we have a kind of a cool connection there. We won't speak any French on the show because I'll be embarrassed if we do. But Stephen, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. What an honor. <laughs> thank you, Travis. <laughs> How are you and where are you right now? Where, where are you located? Okay, I'm, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm actually in Paris, in France, um, shooting a commercial and coming back to the US after that. Uh, it's pretty sunny here and it's uh, on the, the, with the time difference, well, basically, it's the beginning of the evening while, while you just woke up. <laughs> Exactly. Well, I've been awake for several hours because I don't know if you remember, but I'm an early bird. Um, so you bounce back and forth between France and Los Angeles for the most part. And obviously, sometimes you shoot projects elsewhere like Montana, where we met. But I wanted to get a little background about your upbringing in France. Basically, kind of give me the brief story of from birth to you getting into the movie business, and then we'll talk about your beginnings in the movie business. Oh, right. Uh, okay. I try to make it short, <laughs> but, uh, but basically, yeah, I, so I, I was born in Atismons, which is a small city in the suburb of Paris. Um, and make all my studies around there. And when I was 13, I started to uh, have um, the first still camera and I started to shoot like black and white uh, film at that time and start to get really exciting about it. And, and then a friend of mine teached me how to print and, and process the, the, the pictures. So I went really, I dig that a lot. Uh, from when I was 13 to, well, I still was doing it for a long time. So then I decided to uh, start to be a still photographer. And when I was 16, I get a first uh, job at the studio. But that it's, it's been one of my worst experience, uh, professional experience, because basically we were two, the photographer and me. And basically, I get yelled at for a month and then went back to school. <laughs> and going back to school, I just discovered that uh, photography was applied to uh, movies. It's kind of the same way, but with more people involved. And 
getting a crew and team work and stuff, which I thought was probably what I was looking for way more. And uh, then started film school and been pretty lucky to, uh, to start to work while I was still at the film school doing all of the, the short films with everybody. And that was mainly a director's uh, film school. So nobody was really into like photography that much. So basically I did all of the short films from my promo and then from the other ones and then like the ended, um, like the graduation films and everything. And basically before I finished the, the film school, I was out and, and shooting short films with all of the, the person that was doing the, the workshops and stuff. So I didn't finish the film school. So I technically I'm not graduate <laughs> and then started to work <laughs> as camera assistant. Uh, I studied a little bit in, in light, in the light department, a little bit of grip, but I was more into light and then switched to a camera assistant and I've been camera assistant for about 10 years uh, from really like French typical TV shows all the way to feature films. And then as I was speaking English, I started to get involved in the, in the international crew that went to come to Paris to shoot and the US crews as well and started to work in English. And then been really lucky made in Bruno Delbonnel, which was the, the DP from Amélie. And he took me on the next uh, Jean-Pierre Genet's movie for, uh, for a whole part. Well, that was a really huge, like war scenes um, set. And we've been doing this, um, this whole <laughs> tranché, like the First World War stuff. And then I've been contacted to uh, go on Marie-Antoinette from Sofia Coppola as a second unit. And while we were shooting the second unit with the, with the camera operator, he got a call to uh, go to Morocco to shoot Babel from Alejandro Inaritu. So on the same year, I basically went through those old directors that I was like uh, crazy about. And in the end of Babel in, in the Moroccan part, when we, when we finished it, I was like, okay, I don't think I'm gonna keep on going, like doing camera assistant because there's a few chances that I do a better project than this one. So I, I moved on and been also lucky meeting some artists uh, that was doing video arts and, and stuff like this. And we started to shoot basically a fish in a piece of glass with that artist and we shot that and that brought us to exposing this video in a museum and then then commercials came in by chance then and then rest is history basically <laughs> um, so i wanted to uh touch back on some of those films you talked about doing ac work on uh you mentioned a few of them but to go down the list you worked with some incredible filmmakers uh truth about charlie with jonathan demi very long engagement with Jeunet, uh da vinci code with ron howard Marie Antoinette with Sofia Coppola, and as you said, Babel with Inaritu. So 
working on those films, those are big films. What was the main thing you took away from working on these giant moving projects that maybe you took to, to working on smaller films? Well, the main, I would say, if, if one thing more than anything is that any film, whatever the budget is, any film is a film. And whether you have that 50, 60 million budget that we had on, on those movies, you still never have the budget you need. I've heard exactly the same thing in $750,000 movies than on the 50 million. You're always missing a part of the budget to achieve the vision that you have. As a director and producers are all struggling with the budget, whatever the scale of the movie is. So that put everything back in, in a good position, I think. Every movie is pretty much the same on, on that level. Then when you get to that scale of, of really big um, machine, <laughs> um, what's incredible is that it's pretty much as if you were doing like um, some pret-a-porter, like if you do fashion, for example, and then you're in high fashion. That's, that's the whole delta that, that you can think about, is like on, on those big scale movies, pretty much everything is done for the movies, for the movie, like I, I'm thinking, for example, for the, for the Jean-Pierre Genet one, we were all of those war, World War I sets were built in a field. They recreated everything for the movie. That's definitely something you cannot afford if you get another budget than one of these kind of budgets. So I would say the main difference is that there are still all the same limits, because I never heard a no-limit <laughs> uh, film, but you, you can literally design every part of your movie the way you visionize it as a director. And that, that would be the main difference that I, that I can think about. Everything else, from smaller crew to bigger crew to huge technical part, everything is working the same. That's still a camera filming actors. And the main thing you want is the performance. And everybody's going in the same direction to, to achieve that. That makes sense. So question for you, you're working with all of those DPs on those films. Are there some things that you took away from their process, good or bad, and you don't have to name drop anyone, that you brought, were you kind of building your own philosophy of being a DP as you were working and watching them? Well, the great thing to, to have had this incredible opportunities to work for, for these people, uh, which either I admire the work and the personalities as well. I've been very lucky because basically all of the people we're talking at the moment, they have one thing in common. They've all been super nice people and they're the, the, the most 
the, the nicest people I've seen on set were most of the time the most famous ones. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> that's that's kind of yeah yeah because it, it seems like there's something where, when you know what you're doing, you don't need to uh, pretend. So it's just thinking and, and doing the, the things the way they need to be and not trying to pretend or look like something different. Um, but on the technical side for those for those DPs in particular, the great thing is that every DP I've been working with had different different um, solution for different problem. We we never been I never been in a position that we were facing the exact same problem with different DPs. But every 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 time and every movie you, you have you face new challenges and, and and problems. And basically, I've learned how they were solving it. And that's the interesting part. And that's I, I think that's also a part of when you know that you should move on. And, and stop being camera assistant is that in in the first like I would say for the first five six years basically you see how they react you see their solutions you take it you put it somewhere in your mind and then you see something close same kind of shots or something and and the other DP is doing different they're, they're not like focused on the same part they're not like doing like solving problems differently or or handling um, the the scene differently then in the beginning as a camera assistant i just took all those and at some point and that's when you feel that it's kind of the end if you want to move on is you see a dp reacting or solving a problem away and you're thinking like i wouldn't have done it this way I would probably have done it different. And when that starts, it never ends. So then you start to always thinking about how you would have done if you have been in, in his position. Um, I've been, once again, super lucky to be with people that I wouldn't criticize any of their solution because that was always great. And I'm like, yeah, I would have done the same. <laughs> But that's that's the point where your mind shifts and you're like, I'm I'm ready to do it myself because if I keep on going, and and for example, if I'm I still assist people and I'm assisting someone that I don't really feel that is doing well, which I've been lucky didn't happen to me, then I'm I'm not going to be good at my job because I'm going to keep on thinking like, oh. Is, he doesn't know what he's doing and he should do differently. So basically at some point you need to do it yourself. <laughs> yes, I think that I can relate to that because it's like very hard to work for a producer who you don't trust their instincts and you don't have a lot of faith in them or a director, you know, or something like that. It, you know, like working with um, Amanda on Terror on the Prairie, which we'll talk about, was probably the best time I've ever worked with a producer because I was like, wow, she knows what she's doing, you know, so I'm not going to question her thinking. I was just like, tell me what to do. I'm your soldier. Let's do it, you know, and that's the best possible working relationship. And it's really interesting what you're saying about that the people that were really higher up in the industry were the nicest. 
because I think it, it's a good reminder that confidence and security in what you're doing is really important on set and that a lot of bad behavior kind of stems out of insecurity and lack of confidence. So great reminder there. Uh, so you start you start DPing features. Um, tell me about a couple of the early features, and then we'll talk about the one that I watched last night, actually, The Veil. Yeah, so uh, first, so, so as I told, I started with commercials, and at some point, one of the directors I was working with in commercial, which is a, a French well-known comedian actor, uh, did another feature, and he, he brought me on. So that was my first, that was his third. And that's called Low Cost. It basically takes place, it's a comedy, and it takes place in, a, in an airplane. That's, so a whole lot of comedic situations coming in. And for that movie, we decided, as, as he wanted to be constrained by the set, we did shot in a real plane, which I wasn't, I, I didn't thought that was the best solution, but in the end, you know what? It worked, it, it worked. And the, the constraint, I, I'm not really sure that it shows that much, but it, it just didn't want to be in a position or having the camera in a position that couldn't be, uh, it, in a real plane. So we, to counter that small set, we did shot for the first, we, we did the first feature in France uh, that been shot with DSLRs. So we shot with two uh, Canon 1D Mark IV at that time, I think. Um, and, and we did, like, basically we did create the whole workflow with the with the lab and with the DIT on set and everything because nobody would have shot with that before uh, a full feature. Um, so that was my first. That's been a lot, a lot of energy. We made it well, it, it worked. <laughs> and then you worked on Behold the Lamb, right? After that, before you did the veil? Yeah. No. So yeah. So basically, low cost was the first one. Then I shot. Um, yeah. That. So that Irish artist that I started with, with the the fish in the ice block, um, got a script. Um, got got a script financed uh, through Film Four, uh, that was shooting in Northern Ireland in Belfast. So that was his first feature, and that was my second. So I moved up to uh, to Iron. So that was the second one. We shot Super 16, and that was the best option ever. Uh, we shot pretty fast compared to uh, the, the French uh, the, the French movies. Basically, yeah. For 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 my experience, we shot longer time in France than than the other the other countries. I, I think. I mean. There's still some three, four months is a shoot in the U.S., of course, but not on the same scale. But, um, but yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Behold the Lamb was the second one. Then I came back to France, did a, a rom-com, uh, which is called The Stroller Strategy. And then I started to do... Uh, 
um, I, I think called, yeah, that, that's, that's when everything shifted. I get a call from Phil Joano, which is uh, a US director for one commercial. So basically I've been to, uh, to LA for shooting that commercial. And on day one, he asked me if I was still there after that. And, and I'm like, yes, sure. Which was not really true. I mean, I literally came with a, <laughs> with a carry on and, and two t-shirts because I was like, oh, it's LA. You don't need anything. So I get these two t-shirts and cut two with scouting the mountain. <laughs> so on the next day, I'm at REI and buying <laughs> big jackets and stuff. <laughs> but the thing is that Phil, basically Phil brought me in the US and he kept me busy for three months while I was there for a week. So after after months and a half, I, I, I started to find a place to rent and thinking about how I can handle the US and and didn't really know when I was going back. And basically these three months became three years. And and that after two years of uh, shooting commercial pretty much all the time, he did this uh, this feature, uh, The Veil, which was, I think, his 10th or 11th. Um, and, and here we go. He get me on the... On, on the show and, and that was my first US feature. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I watched the movie last night. It's interesting, the director you're talking about, he doesn't make movies very often because he actually hasn't made a feature film since The Veil in 2016. But I thought it was a pretty good horror movie. Kind of, it has some typical horror elements. Like it's got the, you know, those moments where you're like the person says i'll go i'll go get this and they go off alone from the group and you say no don't you know it's got the typical horror cliches but it also has some really original things to it with the whole idea of the cult and and all of that um, but you were working with jessica alba thomas jane i mean it was a pretty pretty good cast a uh, pretty pretty big uh horror film um so what was the experience like and uh, how did you come up with the look? It has like a very interesting desaturated look. And what? It, and also you use some wide lenses with distortion on the sides, I noticed. So how, how did you come up with, with all of that, the look of the film? Huh. Yeah, well, um, so the, so for, I mean, for the cast, that's really, um, we feel the, the director, brought them on board and they literally came there after that that was a Bloomhouse movie so Bloomhouse movie is a kind of a um, pretty set up um, process you every every single film has the same budget and, and everything and they make it work um, so working with Jessica and that I mean, it's been amazing for me um, to get that as a first movie in the U.S. and shooting with those actors. Because, I mean, Thomas, Jane, Lily Rabe as well, um, they're, they're all they're super pros. I, I don't see anything else that can define them so differently. They're 
we've been shooting in the so the, the whole movie takes place in in most of the time in the forest and the compounds and stuff like that which was in, a, in in the same area we shot everything in the same area and and we were all there uh, no cell phone networks so it, it's as if we were going back <laughs> to to an, an another time where there's no no cell phones and stuff so basically people have to talk to each other because you you cannot be uh, remotely with your other friends uh, <laughs> this on the side um, we that that made the whole crew sharing things together and and being really close to each other and and what was amazing i think for for me the, the most the, the the thing I really remember about the cast is that either Lily, Thomas, and Jessica were all together and they were all with us as well, which is something coming from France. Uh, it's a little bit different there. Like there's more of a kind of a gap and, and distance in between the cast and the crew in France most of the time. And the more famous they are, um, the more aside they are most of the time. Uh, and, and I already experienced that when we were on, on Babel with, with Brad Pitt. I mean, Brad Pitt is Brad Pitt. When we were shooting there, he was next to, next to us as well. So there's the, the same kind of like non-distant cast and crew and, and thing that basically drives me again in that same thing. We're doing a movie together. We're working together. And that's, that's the job that we're achieving with with everybody and and that that was that was the really good part uh, that I thought about with the with the crew and either they're super famous less famous and all of these people were there I had the same exactly the same experience with Martin Starr on uh, on another movie later yeah that's basically we're working together and we're buddies and that's that's how it goes. There's no kind of I don't know. I don't know how to define that, but it, there's there's no snobbity or distance about everything. We're we're working together, and that's always hard to explain to people because that of course they're the one that people knows, and they're they're the the face of the movies, and so everybody wants to know more about them. But what I would say, and and I honestly try not to talk so much about that because I think that's a, a part of the magic that we don't want to to get too much I mean in in the actual world with social media and everything I think we already get enough of <laughs> who are <laughs> and, and if you really want to see everything about anybody you can find it out but um, but what I would say is that when we're working at some point, we're on the set and we're working. And that's not, most of the time, that's way less glamorous than, than people would probably think. But it's very constructive. <laughs> um, so that's the part for the cast. Now, the decision of the look, well, that we, <laughs> we did um, not a lot, but enough of camera tests with film. Um, basically, when he when he sent me the script, so in the first place, the script was supposed to be a found footage again, and 
and Phil sent me the um, the script and the first thing he told me when we started to talk about it is like I've asked the the scriptwriter if we can not do a found footage with that because found footage doesn't make sense. Um, that's that's the way he was thinking about it. We, we've seen too much. It, it, we've been through that and uh, and so we shifted from that found footage film to a regular um, movie grammar. <laughs> and so we did, yeah, we, we did test. We already, both of us were in love with anamorphics. Uh, and especially, because that was not the, the super beginning, but that was still early in the digital process. And we both noticed that like digital cameras are kind of too perfect and we wanted to make sure that we had something that gets more organic and some texture in the in the images so i always been fan of anamorphics and i've been lucky that phil is super good with techniques as well and and he loves lenses he loves cameras he's a great still photographer so we've been talking about it and we literally dived into the into the anamorphic world uh, as we were shooting commercial before we also used the commercial to basically test different sets of lenses and stuff and there's these sets of kowas which are whole japanese uh, anamorphics lenses from the 70s that we literally fall in love with uh, they're pretty hard to work with because that's really old and that's kind of uh, super fragile but I've been super lucky to have one of the best first aces I had in LA as well so it took care of all these and and I never we never had any problem with the lenses that drove me to the end of the shoot telling him because he, he was warning me about the lenses in the first place and I'm like well see there's no problem with these lenses what we're talking about and he's like well now we can talk basically we've been through three different sets because he was basically fixing the lenses every friday night but <laughs> but in the end we achieved that look that we really wanted to do with phil and and yeah we literally embraced everything and all of the all of the aspect that was like twisted and and bending and everything that's that's really what we're going through and 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 went to and and i think that made everything faster in a way because you don't need to retouch anything afterwards unless you want something super clean then wouldn't have been the the right direction but but as that was what we wanted we literally went through and and it made the whole process really really easy well, it's a great look. I really uh, enjoyed the visuals on the movie. I enjoyed the movie overall, like I said. So if y'all haven't seen it, check out The Veil. It's an interesting uh, horror film for sure. And I think you should work more in the horror genre um, when you can, because I think you did some great stuff with it. Before we jump into working together on Terror on the Prairie last year, you kind of talked a little bit about what you look for from an actor because you're, you're talking about just working well together and kind of the difference between being close and distant. And I totally agree with you. I think the closer and the more tight knit a cast and crew are, 
the better the film. I've seen that over the years. Um, and I think that we can touch base about that with, with Gina and Cowboy, because I think we, we both experienced a little bit of that, especially with Gina on Terror. But what do you what do you look for in some of the other relationships on set? Because I always like to get a sense from you know each person that I talk to on this podcast. Like, what are some attributes you look for from a director, from a producer that helps you do your job the best way you can? I would say the most the most of it is finding the right way to work and enhance. And, and making sure that we're all in the same on the same page, and and for that reason, I really like to do as much prep as possible. Not really to lock anything or, or to like like back up people against a wall, but to make sure that we all understand where we're going and I understand the movie that the director have in mind and 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 same for the producer and, and finding out how you can translate that because most of my job nowadays I would consider really my job more as a translator than really anything else because I'm I'm doing my best to support and sustain the story, which goes depending the movies. Sometimes it goes through the camera, sometimes more with the light, sometimes both. Uh, but it, it's really about helping the story and trying to. It's once again, it's like music. If you get a good bass bass player, you can play only the the high notes. If there's no bass then you take more more bass on the guitar or, or anything. But so that's really trying to find the um, trying to find the whole music shit of the of the movie while we're in prep and try to understand who I'm talking with and what are their tests. Because the there's no one there's not one way of doing thing and there's not one good way and one bad way there's only different different vision of the same story so i totally consider my work to spend as much time as i can with producer and director and mainly director because most of the time the director is the, the main person that brings that that vision um, and trying to find out and, and to get in their kind of in their head <laughs> it, can, it can sound a little bit mystical but I think it is a little bit mystical like because basically the, the, the base of all this is that there's not one reality there's the way I see things is totally different than the way you see things. If, if we're looking at exactly the same thing, the same day, next to each other, you're going to see the green of the trees, a certain green, and I, would, I will see another green. We're talking about the same thing, but the way you talk about it, I need to understand that when you say that that green is like yellow for you, 
I see the green that I for any reason feel blue, and I'm like, okay, so when I feel blue, he sees yellow, and then that's so that's the whole process, understanding the way the other the other people on set that brings the vision sees things and trying to translate that in the camera and and in the and on on the final movie. That's for the esoterical part of it. <laughs> also, I think your analogy about the color of the tree is incredible because as you say, we we see things so differently. We remember things so differently. And, um, I, you know, the, the more that I work in movies, the more I see the value of prep. And like you said, it's not about maybe being married to a shot list or storyboards or whatever or blocking. But it's about a mental exercise together to get closer and closer to having the same vision and understanding each other so that when you get on set, you're speaking the same language, right? You're, you're simpatico, you're, you're in unison. I think that's what prep is, is all about. So hopefully on my next projects, I'm, I'm hoping to take those lessons and, and apply them. Um, real quick, uh, before we get into terror, um, you know, we're, you're talking about actors, and I think a lot of actors watch this podcast, and uh, maybe maybe the majority of the audience is actually actors. And I think that a lot of people don't realize, they know that there's a relationship between the director and actor, but they really don't realize getting into the movie business that the relationship between the cinematographer and the actor is very important as well, maybe not as explicit, but it's it's a big part of it. Roger Deakins talks about it on his podcast, and he clearly is very connected to the actor. And I just wondered if you'd agree with this that it's 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 easier to work with actors who are kind of aware of the camera and understand camera technique, and the more they know kind of about lenses and distance and focus and hitting marks makes your job easier and makes them look better would you agree with that in general yeah totally totally it's definitely uh yeah that's that's a very singular relationship you can have with actors and and i would say there's there's a few yeah there's different profiles for sure uh of course working with some movie actors that are really used to camera makes a whole difference in in the in the, the time it takes to to set up something because especially i'm thinking about like if you do a shot and reverse uh, kind of situation when you need to like invert them for the direction on screen um, the actors that are super used to it, they can feel when they're getting in the shot, so they're leaning on towards the other way. If they see that the other actors is like getting <laughs> blocked, yeah. So that technical, I, I would say this part would for me be the technical acting, um, the, the acting technique on, on, on a way. Of course, the more you get that, the more you understand that, the better it is. I mean, you, you you save time for the blocking, you save time for the setup, and you get also that kind of trust in between yourself and the camera operator. 
because uh, basically you know that he knows so or she knows and and you, you don't need to explain anything everything goes well but but the bad thing would be thinking you know how to do that while you don't because then if you really <laughs> mess with that so once again be humble and, and sincere uh, if you don't understand that part of the technical thing just try to go straight to the camera and at some point when, it, when it's not setting up something <laughs> and, and just just tell because basically it's way better to know for us so if if you get an actor that comes to you and he's like well you know what i've been doing i'm saying anything but i've been doing theater for 15 years i'm super good with all this and that but it's the first time i'm shooting for example so all these technical terms i've learned some but i'm not super um, confident with that how can we uh, how can we set it up and that makes a whole difference because then behind the camera you you know that the guy or the girl doesn't know and and then you can help them it's easier to help someone that comes to you and and tells you I think I would probably need help. And most of the time when, when, when actors does this, you don't need to because <laughs> everything works. And um, so that's for the technical part. And what, I, I totally forgot about the other part. What, what was the other part of the question, Travis? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you, you pretty much answered what I was talking about. And, you know, when we were working on Terror on the Prairie together, um, I saw a lot of that, both the knowledge, but also the humility, because so example, first of all, I think actors need to realize that maybe even more than the director, the DP or camera operator is really the first audience, the first witness to their performance. And they have such an eye on what's happening. And I loved example working with Cowboy, who hasn't made a ton of movies, but he brought the humility to, he knows that we know what's working and what isn't. So there would be moments where I would say, Cowboy, if you just come out a little bit more, if you cheat out a little bit more, it's going to sell things. And then you develop that relationship, and he knew we were looking out for him. Uh, also, Heath Freeman, who sadly we lost after the production, he was always asking you and I, where am I on frame? What do I do this? He's, he knew, he's like, you're going to help me look the best. And, and Gina, too, she was incredible with that. She she was working hand in hand with us. So I just I wanted to talk about that just because I think it's an important thing for actors to to hear. And that, um, you know, so often it, actors think it's all about the lines and being in character. But it's a it's a technical craft. No, totally. And you're totally right. Um, like the. I think Cowboy is a really great example because we knew when he, when he started that it was one of his first feature. I, I know he shoot a, a, a few stuff before that, but that was his first feature. And you and you never know. And he was exactly the perfect. He, he had that perfect balance, and he always he knows how to come to um, to the camera and having the information he needs and, and after two days you just you don't even need to talk you can 
just look at each other and you understand everything is a beast. Uh, that's yeah, and I, I would I would do a little digression on on that part, but weirdly I would say that most of the time, uh, women actors uh, are way more in uh, aware of that um, of of the relationship with the camera than 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 men actors, weirdly. I, I don't really know why, but there's something that that I've I've noticed that most of the time, like women are uh, more aware of the of the camera. It might just be the way that women think, um, and that our minds all work differently, and maybe they're just more observant on several planes overall on a film set versus men who might be a little bit more one task at a time oriented i don't know and it's also people overall are, are so different so we're getting into the terror on the prairie thing both you and i had never worked together and and we had never worked with dallas amanda michael this was our first experience with them and uh, i don't think you'd worked in montana so we were it was a lot of first for us how did you come onto the film how did you get involved you have the whole story if you want a little longer story, then I can say. So I was shooting something in in LA. Uh, was that that? Yeah, I was shooting something in LA and had to come back to Paris for uh, I don't remember for which reason at that time. But so basically, <laughs> I took a plane ticket on the on the first day, and on the Friday I get the call. On the Saturday morning, I talked with Michael on the video call, and on the Sunday, I was in the plane to Paris, basically knowing that five days later, I'm probably going to come back and, and going straight to Montana. <laughs> and we did the first week uh, remotely prep from for, for me from here, uh, doing like video calls and, and prepping and lists and stuff uh, remotely from from Paris. <laughs> That's the life of a filmmaker, right? That's what I try to uh, explain to anyone who's not in the industry getting involved with me, especially on a personal romantic level. As I say, this is a little unpredictable. I mean, here's my here's my plan, but then the plan could completely change. I could be thrown, you know, it's like the other night, you know, Dallas said, hey, all of a sudden your life might belong to me um, you know, for several months. And that's the life of a filmmaker, you know. <laughs> what that is? You, you, you don't know what you're doing in a month? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a wild way to live, you know. Maybe the only professional comparison would be a hitman or a mercenary you know um but uh <laughs> so but all of a sudden you're in you're in montana and we're doing you know three to four weeks of prep i had been there for four weeks i think you were there for two to three weeks and we were working hand in hand and um i just want to say some of my favorite memories from that whole experience as just getting to know each other, working in the production office, getting coffee, and then we started a habit of getting Chinese food and all of this stuff. And you're just getting to know each other and seeing personalities and all of that, which was great. We um, our routine. 
Yes, exactly. You, you we have a routine, and then even that gets completely interrupted because you start filming, and then all you want to do after you're done filming is maybe get one drink and then pass out. <laughs> but um, I was curious. I was curious. You know, you know, I'm all into the Western genre. This is your first Western. So, what were your thoughts coming into it? You're you're shooting your first Western. What what are your thoughts? How are you going to approach it? That's yeah. That I mean, that's an amazing that's an amazing opportunity. Uh, can you imagine? I mean, I'm, from France, there's no chance at all that as a DP you're doing a Western movie in the U.S. Actually, and we, we don't know any Western movies in France, and and there's not that many Westerns shot anyway. So there's very few chances to to do a Western movie as a DP, especially when you're coming from France. Um, that's, so when you get the call in the first, like the first 15 minutes, you're like, mm, now they should call it a Western, but it's probably a modern thing that's kind of on the Western thing. And then cut to, you receive the thing and you're like, no, they're literally on horse and it's a period Western. <laughs> it's, it's kind of unbelievable. <laughs> and honestly, since then, every single of my uh, DP friends in France that I've, I've seen, when I told them I did show the period Western, that they don't believe it, basically. Because <laughs> they're like, how come? <laughs> it never happens. So, yeah. And, and the approach, I mean, that's... So that's kind of crazy. But on the other hand, it's never been scary. Because, I mean, there's a lot of Western and I have to say that my father is crazy about Western movies. He's crazy about the main, uh, the, the, the main John Wayne and, and Ford. Uh, so basically, I've been, like, I've been sick of Western movies when I was a kid because he was only, like, literally watching only Western movies every single time. I think I've seen Alamo 15 times. I've seen um, like every single one all the time. That's the only VHS that we had were Westerns. He had these, he had all the, the Tucson um, thing that all the series, everything about Western. He's been kind of a French Westerner at some point when he was younger as well. So my background with the Western it, it is kind of, <laughs> it, it, it's not something that I don't know because I've been li literally got that in my, in, in my baby kit uh, <laughs> when I was a kid. And, and the other thing is it's never scary because there's really like super uh, known, well-known codes with, with Western. So, there's not that many different genres in, in the in the Western that you can do. There is some, but you, you, you know pretty much straight away when you're talking with the director and the producer what kind of Western they want to go for. And, and, and that was also the amazing part of it because it, it's not easy because it's a very... I mean, it's a period movie. There's everything's involved. All the the guns are had to be period accurate, and I mean, 
you've been the person that was dealing with all this, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. But all of the um, all of the costumes, all of the guns, everything has to be accurate. Un unless you want to do GI Gen, but um, not GI Gen, but uh, <laughs> some of those ones. But I mean, you, you know straight away. If everybody is paying attention to be period accurate, then you know what kind of movie you're doing. And you know that you want, and, and everybody will want to have that kind of texture, that kind of hold, but but in but not too hold, because we're not doing, we, there's no reason to try to remake uh, a 70s movies or a 60s movies as it was at that time, because they, they've been doing this and they've been doing great, so there's no reason to copy that. But how, how do you find the, the texture and, and make it real? That's, so basically, that's what drove me through, through the whole process and talking with Michael, of course. First thing we did is like setting up some color charts to make sure that we, we basically assign a color to specific um, characters and stuff. Because that always helps, and and in that part, then we're talking about and exchanging some like steals and uh, references and and stuff from as much as steals and other movies, but also a lot of like painting, like uh, Remington or um, Russell, all of these painters from the West that I think makes more sense at some point because other movies you always like tend to to copy or to going in the same kind of vibe so using paintings also get you kind of a fresh eye and and once again it's the same interpretation of of something different um and yeah and and it's really you you know straight away if the producer and the directors are talking about john ford or um or um the sergio leone or there's really like for me there's two or three different genre of, of western and you find your way in, in those yeah for sure well i you know a few thoughts on what you said first of all that's really cool to hear that, that you sometimes rely on paintings i've also used paintings as a reference with some of my dps on previous movies sometimes just a, a non-film reference is easier because it's something that's related but it's outside of it. So it could be a painting or it could even be music. It's like, I think this mu this uh, movie looks the way this song sounds, you know, um, or something like that. So that's a, it's cool. Yeah. To get out, get out of the box for, with your references, basically. It gives more space for creating something slightly different. Well, and what's interesting about terror in terms of the references is that there were some spaghetti western references the leone ones and i'm not crazy about leone but i admire what what he created right but it really is taking i think some of the old school 50s 60s westerns some of the leone spaghetti westerns especially the griminess the dirtiness is what you're saying but those films were so stylized like very very stylized more tarantino stylized almost and then it's kind of combining it with an eastwood unforgiven type of gritty reality which is i i think very common to um 
Dallas's work. Like one thing that when I started watching Dallas's movies that kind of felt different about them to me was the words like hard, gritty, real. Like the stories aren't real, but they feel very real, if that makes sense. So it's kind of an interesting hybrid terror is. And you can't really, you can see little things, but it's its own it's its own movie. It's its own. It's not a. It's not like De Palma doing Hitchcock, and it's not a replication or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, it's cool that you drew from so many things. Um, and one last thought. I, I you know you were talking earlier that every movie, regardless of the budget, has its um, limitations and its difficulties. But I think one thing I saw with terror is that when you are working with more money, you can control more things. So example, if I was making terror on my budget, I probably wouldn't be able to pick the colors and be able to stick to all of them. I could have a, a hope to, but I wouldn't be able to control as many elements and I wouldn't be able to build a cabin. I'd have to shoot in an existing one. So it was really cool to be able to see the level of creative control and the ability to say, we're going to build this cabin. We want a window there. We want this here and all of that. Anyway, just some thoughts. No, totally. That's, I, I think there's kind of a, a, a luxury of deciding what you're using, whatever the budget is, but the bigger, the more, of course. So someone was asking on Instagram, they wanted to know what camera cameras we shot with for terror. And on top of that, we shot two cameras, which was something that I was, I was not used to doing. And as of week two of production, I was told, I think it was day one of week two, Someone came up to me, I think it was Amanda, and said, you can shoot, right? And I said, sure, I can shoot. And then all of a sudden, I found myself on the second camera for, for the rest of the film, except for when I was being pulled off a horse or whatever. So um, what's your thoughts on, so what cameras did we shoot with? And what's your thoughts on using two cameras, the pros, the cons to it, the process with it? Uh, so we've been shooting on Arri Alexas. Uh, we had one mini which is a smaller camera, a smaller body, uh, because most of the, the main camera was like on a, on a gimbal, which is kind of a remote head that stabilized a little bit that, that you can handle and move around without being jittery. And, and the second one was a more regular Alexa that we mounted with the big zoom, the 25-250 engineer. Um, which give us pretty much all of the longer lenses. And, and this camera has been your camera. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, working with two cameras, it, it's always the same thing. There's, there's a few rules, but all the rules are there to be uh, done, <laughs> basically. The, um, most of the time, you don't want to do a wide and a tight at the same time because of the sound but on terror for example we happen to do that several times just because with some stunts or some like uh, when they're shooting at each other or stuff like that um, all of the less intimate or less um, dialogues scenes we've been doing this because that's basically how you save the most of the time 
but that's not your go-to when you're on, on two cameras. Aside of these, there's, it, it really depends. Most inside, that would be interesting to be able to shoot face, like the two sizes of uh, the, the two different direction of the, of the shot in reverse, but outside, the sun is moving around. So if you chase the sun, then it's very dif difficult for, I mean, in my opinion, it never really makes sense to start to have cameras in, in different angles, because then one of the cameras is going to be front light at some point. And that's most of the time, that's not what you want. And so I know that I've been like chasing you every time you were coming with a camera. You had, you always had the right, the, the, the right shot, but that was not possible for me to shoot it at that time. <laughs> totally. Almost all the DPs I know are always like backlight, backlight, backlight. You know, they hate frontal light, which makes sense. Everything looks better with backlight. But yeah, it was interesting learning and working with you because... Like you said, sometimes I would want you'd be shooting this way and I'd want to sh set up shooting this way. And uh, you're no, 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 no. Come next to me. Right. And uh, I remember after doing that a few times, I finally said, Stephen, just explain to me the reason for it and I'll stop being a pest and trying to do that. And and then you said, it's the light. It's the continuity of light. And I don't want to be, you know, it's where the sun is. And and then after that, I was like, oh, OK, cool. We're good. But that's another example of like um, collaborating and working with each other is just understanding someone's reasons for things for me, especially helps me say, OK, I'm going to I'm not going to conflict with them anymore because I understand where their head's at. And so, you know, because I have an eye, I was, of course, wanting to see a shot a certain way. And then once I understood you, I was like, oh, OK, cool. Um, but yeah, it was a fun challenge trying to fit the B camera into the shoot. So many times you would be like, we, you'd be like, we don't have room for B. We don't have room for B, you know? And then I would, you know, tell, tell the second AC will, I'd say, let's sneak over, let's sneak over here and get an angle, you know, and, and not tell you. And then you'd look over, you come over and you'd look and you say, fine, let's do it. <laughs> so it was a lot of fun. I think that's always the, the challenge of the of the B camera is at some point you're the one as a B camera that needs to bring the camera and, and, and find some stuff. That as you said, you you try stuff and then as soon as you understand what you're doing and what and how we're doing it, then same thing. After two, three days you're in the you're in the boat and then, then you obviously find the right spot because you get the you get the whole grammar <laughs> and i have to say you, you really did great on the on the b cam and and i think i remember one shot that you have of, of gina when she's shooting at people through the window that i think is one of your <laughs> legit uh <laughs> proud <laughs> Yes. Well, that was one of the ones where you were behind her shooting out the window, getting really the shot that we had to have. And I'm t I'm in the corner and the wall, literally backed into the wall all the way. And I'm telling you, can you move her just a little bit this way? You go, no, I can't move her at all. I go, 
we're trying to get focus on her. I said, this is an epic shot. And then, you know, again, the relationship with an actress or an actor is important because Gina looks at me when you're not paying attention. And she says, Travis, what do you need from me? And I say, just lean, just lean just a little bit away, right? So we can get the focus. And we didn't tell you, but she's like, okay, on this take, I'll lean just a little bit away. So it's, it's that kind of collaboration. And that's really, that's really how the become works all the time. <laughs> so for answering the first question, the, the become works exactly this way. You, you get on the first two, three days, you get the, the, the mood of the film and, and what, what is expected and try to keep the, the, the style. And as soon as you get the style, you start and you try to be everywhere <laughs> and propose more and more <laughs> and sneaking everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's, what's funny, you'd be on the, uh, the easy rig or whatever, the, the steady cam moving around, right, through the set. And so often I was, I'd have a perfect shot and then you'd move right in front of me and a big kudos to my, to my, my AC will. Oh my gosh, because he would, we'd be in a shot and all of a sudden I'd be tearing the camera to the side to get, to get a different shot and, you know, panning up to the, to the ceiling and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So it was a lot of fun, man. Any lasting thoughts from Terror on the Prairie that you'd like to share? I would say, honestly, it's been a great experience. That's really, I'm not saying so for any, I mean, that's, that's really I loved uh, going to Montana. I loved the, the, all the beautiful places that we, we had there. I've seen like deers every morning. Uh, I've seen some elk in my car, but yeah, no, that, that was a great experience. It's, and, and, and it's a great experience because every time you're going to a new place with people that you don't know at all and, and you're meeting everybody, you never know how it's gonna go. And, uh, and I've, I've met all that crew that really was involved. And, and I'm thinking of Tony, uh, Tony Agrip was like really into it, was like super involved. Um, I mean, the, the whole crew, AJ was on the spot all the time. Real that you mentioned, um, no, everybody, and I'm of course forgetting half of them, but but um, that, that was great, and and it's been yeah. I'm also thinking about Hammer, about uh, the the horse wranglers. Everybody, it, it seems like to me, it was finding out the same pleasure as when I started, because there's and 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 I'm. Because when you start, there's kind of um, something new to, to that whole relationship that you have with the with, with people and the crew and, and everything. And it, yeah, I don't know. That, that it, it seemed like, and, and I think that's a kind of the, the indie uh, filmmaking is, is bringing that. It seems like everybody is going in the same direction and has the same patient about what we're doing and that's that's really that's always great when you when you feel that and that's really what happened 
what happened to me with Terra. I agree with you. Yeah, it, you know, you you go through these productions and there's so many frustrating moments, days you're very stressed and all of that and want to bang your head in the wall. But the, the feeling you get working with certain people, especially on set, is lifelong memories and totally worth the experience, that, that community, that, that collaboration. And I just wanted to share one, one thought that, that I thought about earlier to close about terror. You know, you said as a French DP, very unlikely that you would shoot a Western, right? Certainly not in France, right? And to get hired to shoot an American one. But something that I, I really believe is true and I'm studying more as I watch more Western movies is that a lot of people forget that a lot of the early Westerns were made by immigrant filmmakers. They were from Germany, Ooh. Hungary, all kinds of, a lot of the early directors and cinematographers were not naturally born Americans. And I think personally that sometimes bringing an international voice to the Western art form, which is a very, American art form does something new with it, which is which is really cool. Um, to close, hopefully we'll work together on something, whether it was a Western or something else. But I wanted to ask you, is there one type of movie genre that you haven't worked in that you want to try? Sci-fi. Okay, sci-fi fan, huh? So we need to go make the next Blade Runner? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Maybe, yes. Sci-fi noir, that would be a lot of fun. That would be great. Yes, it would be. Well, Stephen, it's good to see you. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much. And uh, till we're uh, fighting the next war together. <laughs> Will do. Thank you very much, Travis. That was a pleasure. And, uh, and yeah, super happy to see you again. <laughs> well, that's all for my conversation with Steven. I'll release an extended cut on our Running Wild Films YouTube channel in the near future. And that actually concludes season one of my podcast, which focused on interviews with people I worked with on Terror on the Prairie, the new Western you can watch exclusively on The Daily Wire. But the podcast will go on as my Western journey continues. Stay tuned.